nature of the global workforce is changing dramatically, and a lot of companies aren't ready to change with it. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. SAP recently collaborated with Oxford Economics on a global study of what the workforce will look like over the next five years. They surveyed more than 5,400 executives and employees in 27 countries. What they uncovered was a wave of change that many companies aren't prepared to cope with. For one thing, the workforce is getting younger. We all knew that, but the study counters some of the myths that we've harbored about the so-called millennials. What's beyond dispute is a growing reliance on contingent and contract workers, a trend that could upset companies' efforts to promote continuity, training, and mentoring of future managers. Explaining some of the findings of the Workforce 2020 study is my guest today, Tim Minahan, Chief Marketing Officer with SAP. He talks about what matters most to today's worker and what companies must do to meet those needs. So here is my conversation with Tim Minahan. Tim Minahan, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bob. So this new study, Workforce 2020, could you tell me a little bit about it? Who conducted it? Who were the subjects? And when was this study launched? Yeah, certainly, Bob. So we spent a few months working collaboratively with Oxford Economics to really examine uh, the future of work on a global basis. Uh, So we examined and uh, surveyed uh, over 5,400 executives, so C-level executives as well as HR executives, as well as employees uh, in 27 different countries in really just about every industry uh, around the world uh, to try to really get a good preview of what the future of work would be, how people would work differently, and, and how the workforce would be organized. And these people came from various disciplines within the companies they worked in, did they not? Were they all supply chain related in one way or another, or was it like across the companies? No, it really was a uh, a host of different disciplines, right? So everyone from CEOs and CFOs to folks who are heading supply chain and uh, and logistics to obviously the the folks that are often uh, on point for uh, employee-related issues, uh, your uh, HR uh, directors, managers, and, and chief HR officers. All right. So tell me what was the basic theme of I want to I want to cover some of these findings point by point. But what was the overarching theme or the overarching conclusion that came out of this study? Yeah, there were a number of key conclusions, uh, but but the overarching theme could really boil down to is, you know, there is a massive difference in in today's workforce. This is not your father's workforce. Uh, It's really different in three major ways. First, 
the workforce itself is different, right? It's much more diverse, and you've probably uh, heard a lot about, probably spent a lot of time uh, writing about uh, the influence of the next generation of workers, the millennials, uh, you know, this digitally connected and uh, uh, generation. Uh, the second part is how we work is different, right? Uh, in part because of uh, the dynamics in the workforce, mobile and social and, and, and the like. Um, we're working in different ways, sharing information in different ways, working uh, outside of a given you know, physical office as well. And then the third is the fundamental structure of what we view as the workforce uh, is is different uh, in that uh, increasingly, particularly as we moved out of the last recessionary period, more and more uh, companies have moved to more variable operating models where you have outside parties that are um, you're, you're tapping into for taking on a bigger portion of a process that might be uh, you know outsourcing your your procurement or finance and procurement operations or for uh, tapping into certain expertise like consultants and legal expertise and the like and so this growing hidden workforce this contingent workforce which now represents about a third of our workforce it is the fastest growing segment of the workforce ultimately is requiring companies to manage and think about talent in entirely new ways. So we should probably take each each one of those uh, separately, uh, and we can delve delve into those three key areas. Well, for cer- certainly let's do it that way, but I also want to, first of all, kind of run down what are some of the, uh, the major findings that the study yielded in terms of challenges, some quite surprising, some not quite surprising. I'm thinking of the first one that said compensation matters most. Well, I'm not entirely surprised by that conclusion. Are you? Yeah, no, I'm not surprising uh, that conclusion. It was that that finding was particularly associated with the myths that are often associated with millennials, right? So I mentioned number one, uh, you know, the workforce is different. There's much more diversity. Uh, folks usually uh, use the millennials as a proxy for uh, the diversity in today's workforce, but it's diverse in many different ways. Number one is uh, you do have this, you know, emerging group of uh, young professionals that you know were digital natives, grew up on the web. They look to work and consume and collaborate in ways different than we had in the past. Uh, and so they're you know, kind of tearing down the, the barriers of traditional hierarchy, uh, command and control. They believe information should be freely shared, and they believe that they should work in a much more collaborative fashion, regardless of title and the like. You know, you know people tend to think that, okay, millennials are motivated differently than the, than the traditional workforce, but that's not always the case. And so that, that was one of the key findings is that, you know, compensation matters most to the millennials. So they are still motivated by you know, getting a paycheck and, uh, and getting rewarded for the work that they do. The other attributes that are typically associated or uh, the myths that are typically associated with millennials is that you know, work-life balance is more, more important and finding meaning work in work is more important. But uh, according to the study, which was probably the most comprehensive one in the workforce, that's just not the case. Yes, those things are, are important, uh, but no more so than any other any other segment. So when we talk about diversity in the workforce, certainly millennials has been held up as this uh, mythological creature that's changing the way we work. And to some degree, that's true. But the real diversity in the workforce is that the very first time we have five different generations 
in the workforce all at once. And um, that means you have uh, some of your older folks who are the most experienced, you know, have the, uh, have the tribal knowledge, know how the industry works, know and have relationships with, with customers and partners. And those folks are leaving the workforce. Then you have you know, this growing uh, millennial group that it, by 2017 will, you know, uh, account for nearly half of the total workforce that are coming in. Uh, they're much more technologically savvy. As I mentioned, they want to collaborate and are eager to collaborate in new and different ways, both within and outside the company, but they lack the, the experience. Uh, and then you have other generations that are in between. And so one of the other key findings is that we have a, uh, a big gap in leadership uh, that's going on, right? And we need to be able to impart the knowledge from those that are leaving the workforce to those new folks uh, to bring them up the curve uh, that much faster. Just to get back to the compensation thing, it's interesting that up to now the conversation about millennials has been based on how different they are. And yes, indeed, there are ways in which they are different. But what this study seems to reveal that finds it's very interesting is the commonality, is the fact that they still want retirement plans. They still want flexibility. They want time off more than they want some of the amenities we find in some of the Silicon Valley companies like daycare, subsidized food, and and stuff like that. So maybe they aren't so different after all, at least in that way. No, absolutely. They are they are motivated by many of the same things, and possibly even more so for some of those things. Right? They've they've grown up uh, where um, you know four hundred one ks and other type of retirement plans are you know are par for the course. They understand that they're going to live longer than let's say their grandparents did, and um, you know planning for the future is certainly a component uh, of of their overall compensation that they find uh, very valuable. And one of the most interesting findings that I see coming out of this study is this idea. We have been thinking up to this point that millennials jump from job to job a lot more than some of us older folk did in our careers. But here you're saying that they are no more likely than non-millennials to leave their jobs in the next six months. Is that absolutely true? Because that's, that's counterintuitive to what I have heard. Yeah, yeah, no, I know you see you you see findings where where millennials are are more likely to to job hop. I I think you know even you know um, Bob when we were growing up, they said we would typically have seven different careers throughout our work life. And, you know, millennials are, are, are not really different. The, the study findings said that they were less likely to or, or no more likely to, uh, to leave their job in the next six months than anyone in any of the other age segments. However, what was interesting is that it was indicated you know, from the study that women were actually more likely to leave their jobs and move on to uh, other openings than, uh, than men were. Um, so there was a, a gender uh, shift, but certainly um, uh, no real market difference uh, in the job hopping between millennials or uh, folks of the the other four generations that are in the workforce right now. Is there any insight as to why that might be the case with women? There was no real, uh, you know, ad- additional insight, uh, you know, into that. One speculation is, you know, is ultimately that, uh, you know, we talked about diversity in the workforce. We talked about age. We talked about uh, cultural diversity, but there's also gender diversity. You know, women are uh, oftentimes far far more educated today uh, than uh, than many of the men entering the workforce that, you know, have higher degrees and the like. And so, you know, there's and there's also far more opportunities for them, you know, to, to move uh, both laterally and 
and, and upward. Right, the glass ceiling is uh, is being broken uh, all around us. We're seeing uh, more and more women ascend to uh, to CEOs and chairman roles, and uh, and I think there's just more um, uh, vertical movement uh, in the workforce for women today than there was, you know, even just you know five ten years ago. I want to talk about this idea that the talent gap is widening, which you mentioned earlier. Once again, counterintuitive to what we keep hearing about. Number one, the proliferation of hot new technology in a lot of companies. And number two, companies supposedly realizing the importance of training. And yet that doesn't seem to be the case after all. If less than half of the employees surveyed say their company provides ample training on the technology and less than a third say their company makes the latest technology available to them. So where is the gap between reality and perception? here there is a massive gap there and you know I think you know one of the key, the key findings was uh, was was not necessarily on skills that was a component of it but certainly on leadership right and so leadership is not something you can you can accelerate right leadership is indeed a, a, a developed skill over time that comes with both knowledge in uh, training and experience, uh, all, all three. And when you have your most experienced leaders that are leaving the workforce, um, and, you know, retiring and uh, moving on, and you have your biggest group of, uh, of, of the workforce that's, that's relatively new, uh, that are much more technologically savvy, uh, that are eager uh, and certainly willing to learn, you know, you've got a gap uh, that needs to be, uh, be addressed, and that is you know, who's going to lead not be, but lead the next generation of workers. Uh, but similarly to your point on technology, you know, technology is moving so fast. And you know, let's be clear, it wasn't too long ago before you couldn't have access to the latest technology in the workforce. I think the workplace is now uh, catching up. You've got you know BYOD, bring your own device to work. Uh, more and more CIOs are open to uh, uh, not just the standard issue um, PC and laptop, but you know open to tablets and, and smartphones, and uh, uh, not just requiring you to use those that are handed out by the company, but uh, allowing you to bring your own device. So there's access to technology that way. And then with these new folks moving into the workforce, you know, I think what's what's become clear is that training needs to catch up. Right? Traditionally, training meant you go away to a course for, for two weeks and you sit in the classroom. Um, I don't know the last time you were out of uh, – out of work for two weeks, uh, out of your day-to-day jobs, but very few people can't afford or are comfortable doing that. And so, you know, you have, uh, you know, assisted or um, uh, web-based learning that, that needs to come on board, and, you know, it needs to catch up. Traditional web-based learning is not as robust and dynamic as the uh, millennial generation is comfortable with. The folks that grew up on on uh, interactive video games and the like, you know, want to learn in different ways. Uh, they want to self-educate, self-guide. They want to be able to, to interact interact and ask questions just like you would in a real real world classroom that you don't necessarily have time for. So I think I think that's the hub of this uh this dichotomy we see in the findings, which is, hey, you know, training's important, uh, but companies are, you know, the old methods of training just aren't gonna work with today's uh, much more dynamic and much more diverse workforce. And the lack of training creates a situation in a company where these people aren't ready to move into leadership roles when the leadership roles become vacant, right? Right, exactly. Just... I mean, you have, again, you have you have a knowledge uh, that, that folks can, you know, come up to speed rather quickly on the domain expertise and come up to speed rather quickly on, you know, on, on industry practices and the like. But when it comes to leadership, right, when it comes to leading a team and developing and nurturing and motivating a team, you know, there, there's a definitely a difference between management 
you know, that ensures that folks are within compliance and, you know, gets them to fill out their forms and, and go through those phases. And leadership, so someone who inspires and really leads someone to a uh, goal out there in the future and motivates people to want to uh, work collaboratively to get there. And less than a third of the executives who are interviewed say that when a person with key skills leaves, they fill the role from within the organization. Now, that's a bit of a chicken and egg kind of situation, I would think. Is that type of action creating the problem, or is it simply a response to the problem, or is it a combination of both? I think it varies by company. You know, some companies do have policies that you need to fill with it within, but certainly, uh, you know, it, it probably is a chicken and the egg thing, right? If you if you don't have the skills internally and can't develop them fast enough, you go externally. But if you aren't demonstrating the uh, the ability to provide uh, vertical movement uh, for folks in their career path, they're going to be looking externally when the next company comes and looks around for a. Uh, you know, another meeting. I mean, it's been, and I don't know that that's much different than for the past 10 years, you know, uh, work with, with many folks who have said, hey, look, you know, I had to leave the company to come back at the level that I really wanted to get to. I think it is a bit of a chicken and the egg thing, but if, if we could, you know, lick this, uh, uh, this training and uh, leadership development opportunity, uh, I think you'd see, you'd see more and more and, and longer, uh, uh, longevity of, of folks staying within a given company and moving uh, moving up the ranks. I saw another study recently that kind of approached this same subject, but specifically from the role of procurement and sourcing. It was a, uh, a survey of chief procurement officers, and it found that 85% of those surveyed said that cost reduction continues to be their top priority over the coming year. And as a result, they will be unable to put as much attention on things like staff training and retention and talent nurturing and leadership and things like that. I wonder if that's a problem even outside the procurement organization within companies that they are still so cost-focused. They're still worried that we're not quite there in terms of the economy, that they just spend so much of their time worrying about cutting costs that they can't put enough attention on these things we've been talking about. Cost is certainly one thing, but ultimately, you know, when you look at your hierarchy of needs within a given company, and if you're looking towards achieving a cost savings goal, whether it's in you know in supply chain or or if in uh, uh, you know on the other side, on the commercial side of the organization, if you're looking at uh, you know hitting the number you know, while maintaining profitability, uh, when you begin to cut costs, the first you know you 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 sort of cut from the back office forward, right? Uh, you know, so those those functions and uh, activities that are facing the market facing the customers uh, you tend to uh, you tend to maintain as long as possible and those that are let's say not you know, bare necessities such as training uh, training always seems to be the uh, you know the first activity to get cut and uh, when folks begin to look at where they can uh, you know rein in and tighten the belt a little bit do you get a sense where the talent crisis is most acute within the kind of the um, organizational ladder within companies? Is it down at the at the bottom, the day-to-day type managers? Is it the middle managers? Is it the senior message managers or even the C-suite? Um, did the study reveal any findings in that area? Yeah, I mean, it really was senior managers and you know and above, you know that that gap, right? So folks folks coming in uh, and you know learning the ropes, you know there's 
there's ample programs in place to recruit new talent uh, coming out of graduate programs and so on. Um, folks moving into initial management positions where they're managing a small team or managing a small project, uh, you know, cutting their teeth on, on that activity. Um, you know, I think there's sample development there. It's when you get to, a, uh, you know, a senior manager and a, and a ex- you know, early executive level where, you know, really – it moves from management to leadership that uh, you know that you see a gap. You can't accelerate that uh, to a, a great degree. You need to be able to uh, blend an experience of both training, uh, but also experience uh, that doesn't come that doesn't necessarily come overnight. So um, I think it's in those higher mid to uh, to high ranks within the company that that we really are seeing this leadership gap. You know, in recent years, outsourcing seems to have been the order of the day. Everyone's talked up the advantages of it so much, and now everything is being delivered as a service and in an outsourced way. And I'm just wondering if that's gotten to the point where companies are becoming hollowed out, that they are losing some core ability within their companies because of this focus on outsourcing. Has it gone too far? You know, when you look at outsourcing, you know, traditionally outsourcing was taking a, a whole process or a whole function and moving it out. And what we're seeing much more is a, uh, a much more uh, dynamic and, uh, if you will, task-specific approach to outsourcing. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the key findings of the study is that the fundamental structure of the workforce uh, is changing. Today, by some accounts, uh, more than a third of the, give, any, you know, the typical workforce is not full-time employees, not payroll employees. These are Contingent workers. These are statement of work workers. You know your consultants, your um, uh, your legal services, your web developers, etc. Folks who have a very specific talent that you may need uh, on a particular project uh, for a temporary basis, and then you can uh, dissolve once that project is done. Uh, that is the fastest growing portion of the workforce. Um, you know, in part, I think motivated by uh, the cost constraints that you mentioned before. Folks moving to more variable operating models, where should God forbid. Uh, you know, the economy, uh, you know, tighten again. That uh, that they're not left you know, holding a lot of uh, employees in the ranks, holding a lot of inventory on hand, etc. But the other other part is, you know, this this diversity in the workforce. As these more experienced and knowledgeable folks move move off of full time jobs, they're not necessarily always looking to fully retire. And so you're seeing this emergence of of knowledge networks and crowdsourcing. Uh, your answers uh, becoming more and more common, uh, and not just in things like development and design and the like, but also in, even in supply chain. So, you know, there is a, a CPO at one of the leading uh, consultancies that you know, ha, you know used to be a CPO at a bank who's I was speaking with uh, not too long ago, who talks about it. He's taken an entirely different staff model in which he is. Uh, there's certain category expertise or negotiation expertise that he only needs once every three years. And he knows if he's got someone on staff that is tasked with doing that, that they're not going to be the expert. They source it once every three years. So what he's done is he's tapped into folks who are sourcing it hundreds of times a year, and he brings them onto the project and you know makes them part of the team for a temporary part of the time. And, and then uh, when the project is done and they've you know negotiated the best value agreement for their company, he moves them on. Right? There's no need for him to develop that talent internally because it's just not a routine you know routine process that he uh, or routine category that he goes after you know every you know every year or every several months. Um, and so those are the types of uh, transitions we're beginning to see. Not necessarily full 
uh, outsourcing to a third party, but you know, folks are looking at, gee, how can I microtask? You've probably heard that term. Uh, right? How do I uh, tap into knowledge when I need it, where I need it, and then, uh, you know, and then dissolve it uh, when my project is complete? It does make you wonder whether we are evolving into an economy of contract workers, however. People who will have to be carrying several jobs at the same time, including maybe they'll do a little bit on the side for a couple of companies and then make up uh, extra money by being Uber drivers. I don't know. But um, that seems to go against the idea of the of the continuity that you want within a company, the training, the nurturing, the mentoring, the, uh, the, the um, mentoring and the creating of leaders. How do you do that against this backdrop of a world of, of contract workers who come and go at a moment's notice? idea of workforce begins to shift, right? It doesn't necessarily mean someone's a full-time employee or a payroll employee or the like. The idea of workforce, you know, in the future begins to shift towards uh, I'm managing pools of talent, right? I know where the knowledge is. I know where the skills are um, that we need. And so we, when an issue or a project comes up, we can rapidly assemble the best team, whether they're a full-time payroll employee, whether they're in my department or in someone else's department, or whether they're outside the company to, you know, address that, um, particular opportunity or challenge, uh, and then uh, dissolve that team and have them go back to their quote-unquote day jobs, you know, as we solve that problem. And, you know, increasingly that requires a different level of, uh, of, of management. It's not about a functional management anymore. In fact, there's probably many people within any given company that have skill sets, right? There was one example before where someone was sharing with me that they needed a certain uh, development skill set. Uh, and they needed a Java developer, and they wound up going out to the the open market. And then someone from the next department over came over and said, "Hey, look, you know, uh, I've had that skill set. I used to, you know, be the lead developer uh, for this shop that you know solely developed in in Java. They didn't even know that that skill set had it because why? They were looking at, okay, this person's in this given function. They must not have the skills that we need. So it becomes more about managing pools of talent, whether that talent resides within your company or or, or somewhere else. Some huge challenges ahead for companies and workers alike. But Tim Minahan, I want to thank you so much for being with us today to explain what some of those challenges are. The uh, findings of this Workforce 2020 study, I will uh, link to the study in our show notes for this episode. But Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. Great. Thanks, Bob. A pleasure. That was my conversation with Tim Minahan of SAP, talking about a new study on the changing nature of the global workforce. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com. We're taking a brief holiday break, so expect the next episode to go live on Tuesday, December 30th. In the meantime, you can read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any other episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Happy holidays to all, and see you next time.